Love community time. It's a, it's a great a time to connect to one another. We've got a lot of guests this morning, and we're, we're glad that you're here. We have special guests with my family. My parents are here. Uh, yeah. And they have friends as well, Ed and Nelda Little. And a cool story uh, to tie in community. Uh, 40 plus years ago, my dad was in the Air Force in this little town called Selma, Alabama. And uh, he was at a, an Air Force base there in town and uh, grew up Baptist, was, was going into town to go to church, but didn't have a car. And so with suit and tie on, is thumbing his way into town, okay? Back in the day when that was a little bit more, you know, acceptable, you saw a little bit more. He's, he's there on the side of the road thumbing his way into town to go to church when Ed and Nelda Little picked him up and said, well, we're going to church. We're going to the Church of the Nazarene. And uh, so my dad said, well, it's just as good as any church. Let's try that one. And uh, catches a ride into town with them, meets my mother there at the church. Indeed, yep. He goes on the GI Bill to this little school, the greatest school in all the land in Nashville, Tennessee, Trevecca Nazarene University. Yeah. And the rest is history. Uh, so if you see someone thumbing their way to church, uh, it's just the next Matt Hawkins story right there. But uh, so glad uh, that people uh, like Ed and Nelda believe in community and be, believe in sharing the gospel with people in various ways. And we believe in that here. Uh, something awesome else in community, we had a 60th wedding anniversary this last weekend. That 60th for John and Norlin Morelli back here in the back. I don't know if you can see them right there. 60th anniversary. It's pretty amazing. And uh, speaking of Church of the Nazarene, John's got a great story about how he came to the Church of the Nazarene that you need to ask him about and involves uh, washing clothes. And uh, that's how he found his way into to the church. But uh, thank you guys so much for giving us a picture of what it looks like to love each other and to love God and to do it faithfully for years. And uh, we are so thankful for your influence and your impact on us and uh, some Young couples, uh, maybe are a few years along in the path, can look at your life and say, yes, we can. And uh, we're thankful for you. Uh, today, this weekend, is Labor Day weekend. Woohoo! Labor Day! Yeah, we get to hopefully have tomorrow off. Yes. Labor Day is fantastic. Uh, the thing that came to mind, I saw this picture for us in Labor Day. Maybe you're a, a guy and you have this on the brain right now. Before Labor Day, after Labor Day... Now, for UT fans yesterday, you maybe wish that it would have started another week. Uh, UT, is it TU? I'm sorry, I was thinking Tennessee there. Doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> we need to pray for uh, Texas football later on. Uh, but uh, it's great to have football back. The Texans are back next week. We all love that. It's just a, a fun season. Labor Day, great day. We get it off. Does anybody know like the history of Labor Day? Anyone? We first, it first became Labor Day back in 1894. Canada started it. Thank you, Canada. You've given us some, some great things through the years. Maple syrup, Alex Trebek, uh, and Labor Day. Uh, and so those are some amazing things uh, from Canada. Uh, the president that made it a national holiday. Anyone? Anyone? Grover Cleveland. Did anybody I didn't hear that over here? Grover Cleveland, who actually was from New Jersey, uh, Grover Cleveland, 
made it a national holiday. And he's not blue either, for the record. Uh, but he was the president that, that made it. And, and they said, basically, back in that time period, there was a 12-hour work day. And uh, they said, you know what, to celebrate the working men and women of our country, the House of Labor Committee noted that time off was important to make an employee more useful as a craftsman. And so we had this Labor Day to celebrate the, the, the hardworking men and women of our country and to take a day off and to rest. And, and maybe that's a good thought for us today as we're, we're closing up this series. If you haven't been with us, it's called Breathing Room. And, uh, oh, one last thought. What is the deal with white after Labor Day? Why you can't wear it? You just can't. I know you can't, but, but why can't you? That makes no sense to me at all. I was pondering that uh, and found this picture as well. What's the deal with white after Labor Day? Someone tell me afterwards because I don't get it and I will wear white next week and and do it proudly because I can. But uh, Labor Day, maybe it's a good example for us as we're finishing this series on on breathing room. What we've been talking about is this. Your your life cannot look like this. You can have a closet that looks like this. You may even have a garage that looks like this. But your schedule, your heart, emotionally, you cannot look like this. You can't live your life like this on the edge all the time. It's not good for you. Instead, we need some breathing room. You need some space in your life. And God kind of tells us that throughout his word that we need to do that. Great chapter. Maybe one of my, fa- my favorite chapters in all scripture is 1 Kings 18. Uh, if you'll turn there in your Bible, 1 Kings 18 you're flipping there on your phone or in your Bible, uh, handheld there. It's a great chapter in the Bible, 1 Kings 18. It's all about what Kings is all about. The, the book of Kings is, is kings, the kings of Israel. And, and at this point, they are not good kings. In fact, they are bad kings. It started with Solomon. He started off really well, and toward the end, it didn't go so well. And then kings after that just became worse and worse more evil, and they did evil in the sight of God until we come to this king, Ahab. All right, Ahab, maybe, the Bible tells us, is one of the worst kings. He did the, maybe the most evil, and to top that off, he married someone that maybe was 10 times more evil than he was, this woman by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel, evil Jezebel. You know, she was a, a person that was just known for her cruel acts uh, to others. And, and she, in fact, she, she was killed people. She killed prophets. She killed people of the Lord. She, if she was someone today, uh, she would be, I was trying to think of how we could mix this together. It would be like Ronda Rousey uh, c- combined with like Hitler or something, just something awful and evil together. And uh, you know that phrase, fight like a girl, she would have found that person, beat that person up, and stole their lunch money. Uh, She was just not, she was not a good person. And in fact, she came into Israel, married this Ahab, and she brought in these false gods, these false gods of of Asher, and these false gods of Baal. And she worshiped those, and she spread that out through all the land of, of Israel. And so what was God's response to this? He sent a prophet. He sent people that spoke for him. That's what a prophet does. It's kind of a mouthpiece of God. And Elijah was that prophet. So he goes to Ahab in the midst of all the evil things that were happening. And he said this. This is from the Lord. It is not going to rain. It's not going to rain down from the clouds until I say it will. And so for three years, there was a drought in all the land in response to this. No rain for years. Because of this, Ahab is now out to get 
Elijah. And he is looking for him, hunting him down, trying to find him, trying to kill him, trying to bring, uh, take away this, this plague away from the land. And so he, he's, he's, he's ticked off. Jesus, or God, sends him to this place that's uh, we're, we're by this ravine, this, this brook. And uh, he begins to feed him via ravens. In, in hiding him from Ahab, he actually sent ravens with, with, with meat and with bread and would provide for him. And he goes into hiding for years as this, this process is happening. When the brook that he was drinking from, it, it ran dry, there was actually a woman in town that he, would, he went and found, a widow that had a son. And he said, can, can I please have something to eat? And the woman said, we don't have anything. We, have, we only have food for one more meal to eat. And he said, well, well can I join you in that meal? He, they invite him into the house. They cook a meal. They eat together. And they go back for the next one and the next meal, and God continues to provide food in their house, continuing to the widow, the son, and to Elijah. The son one day dies. He physically dies. And through Elijah's prayer, God brings the son back to life. This is the first situation. I think it's in in 1 Kings 17. This is the first time that someone is brought back to life in the Bible, and it was through Elijah's prayer. Well, finally, God says, we're going to end the drought. Go to Ahab and tell him that, that I, I, it's going to rain. I'm going to make it rain. God's going to bring rain again to the land. And so Elijah goes, and he, he goes to this man named Obadiah. And he says, oh, tell, tell the king, Obadiah, go to the king and tell him that it's going to rain. So they set up this meeting with, with Ahab. And when Ahab sees, he was like, there you are, you troublemaker. You're the one that's caused all the, the problems in our land. And Elijah flips it on him. I'm not the troublemaker. You're the troublemaker. Your family is the one that has brought this, this terrible, treacherous plague upon our land with these, these false gods. We need to serve the one true God. And so let's do this. Let's have a contest. 18, 1 Kings 18. Let's have a contest. You find all these prophets, these false prophets, these prophets of, of Baal and Asher. Get 450 and 400 of Asher. We're going to meet on top of the mountain, Mount Carmel. Is it, which brings a good question. Is it caramel or caramel? Which one is it? Turn to your neighbor and ask them, the, how do they say the word caramel or caramel? What's the right way to say it? Now, the right way, the right way where I come from to say the word is caramel Caramel, I'll put caramel on things. Caramel, yes. That's, preach it, preach it. Caramel. What does Texas say? Caramel, caramel. I feel like something's stuck in my mouth. Caramel is stuck in my mouth. Caramel. Well, actually, just for the record, in this text, it is Mount Caramel, because there's not an A in there. But if there wasn't a C-A-R-A-M-E-L, it would be caramel, but it's caramel. It's Mount Carmel. Uh, so they go to this Mount Carmel, and they had this contest. And what Elijah says is this, you take your prophets, and we're going to have this contest. You set up an altar, because this is what they did back then. They made altars, and they had sacrifices and responses from God, and they, they, they gave 
sacrifices to the gods. He said, you take your altar, your 450 and your 400 prophets, and you guys make a sacrifice, and I'll make a sacrifice, and whoever's God responds is actually God, is actually the Lord. So these 450, these 400 prophets, 900 or 850 uh, prophets, they, they begin to make this altar, they make this sacrifice, they take this bull, and they begin to chant and to sing and to dance and to yell, and nothing happens because there weren't real gods. Nothing happens. Nothing comes down from heaven. Nothing happens. So one of my favorite parts of the story, Elijah begins to talk a little trash here in the story, Okay. He was like, well, maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe he went down to Galveston. Well, that wouldn't be vacation. Maybe he went to a real beach in Florida. <laughs> maybe he just took a siesta. Or he just, maybe he took a nap, and you needed to talk a little louder. And one scholar says this, maybe your God's at the bathroom. Maybe he's, this is what the scholars say, I, I, not my words, but maybe he's, he's in the bathroom right now. And you need just to talk louder. And so that's what they do. They begin to chant louder and cry out to these gods louder. And guess what? Nothing happens. And so Elijah does this. Now it's my turn. And he calls the people up together. Because the whole country of Israel is there as well. The, the, their people are there all surrounding this, mar, this mountain. They want to see what happens. So it's He says, come closer, people, and the people get even closer. And he takes these stones, 12 stones, very symbolic, and he builds this altar. He rebuilds the altar of God that had been broken down when these other gods came to town. He builds this altar, and then he does this. He puts a trench around the altar. Do you remember this story? He takes a trench, and then he requests some water. Give me four jars of water. Now, water during a drought, ask for it, ask for for this water is, is not a, you know, Water, so pour water on the altar. Do it three more times. Twelve jars of water to be doused over this, this altar. He builds it up. He takes the bull. He sacrifices the bull, and he prays a very simple prayer to show these people who really is God. Would you please answer me? Bam! Out of the sky comes this, in my mind, a lightning bolt that just blows up this altar and sets it on fire, water and all. The people immediately turn and go, this truly is the real God. Can you imagine that kind of moment, to be in that kind of presence, that kind of power? And suddenly, and this is Old Testament times, turn, go and get those guys and take care of them. And you can read how they took care of them. And he turns to Ahab at this moment, the evil king who is just I can't imagine what his face looks like in this moment. Mouth dropped. And he says this, it's about to rain. You better get ready. You better go back to your house. It hasn't rained in three years. And he goes, as as Ahab is leaving, he goes and he puts his head between his knees. And he he says a very simple prayer, praying that that, 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 the rain would come. He sends his servant seven times to go, go look and see, go look and see, go look and see. And suddenly there is a cloud the size of a man's fist, the word tells us, begins to come on the scene. And before you know it, thunder, lightning, there's a downpour. And here's one of the coolest parts. I loved as a a student. At the end of this chapter 18, 
as Ahab is racing back to his palace in his chariots, which we can guesstimate how fast that is going, back to his palace, outrunning the rain as it's coming, it says that Elijah took his cloak and tucked it into his belt. And through the power of God, supernaturally somehow, I gained the ability to run amazingly fast. And he runs and passes the chariot, who had a head start. Just picture that in your mind, all the way back to the capital, okay? Estimate amount of, of, of distance, 17 miles. And he is running back all the way there. I love chapter 18. Chapter 18 is awesome, amazing, great. Love being there. I hope that maybe you've had some chapter 18 moments in your life. Maybe not quite to that extent, but momentum in your life. Spiritual things are happening, and God's doing great things in your heart and life. But here's the deal. There's chapter 19. Love chapter 18. Wish we could stay on chapter 18, but then there's chapter 19. And that's where we're at. And I want you to just read with me here. Chapter 19 starts this way. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel. Remember, evil Jezebel. There should be some like evil music behind that. Dun, 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 dun. Jezebel, everything Elijah had done, including the way that he killed the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down on a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. When I read this, when, maybe when you read this, you're going, what? What just happened? What happened to chapter 18? What happened to all those things that you were talking trash just a few minutes ago? And now you're running? You're scared because of a girl? <laughs> of a very, very scary, evil girl. But you're running now. Why? Why? As we try to wrap our minds around this, you know, I think about the older that I get, the more selective in my memory I get, especially when I'm telling stories. Stories that were like 20 years ago have gotten really good through the years because they just, certain memories just get left out of the equation. Uh, Do you know what I mean? I am thankful that as we, we see the story of God, And the people he tells us about, he doesn't have selective memory. And just put the things on the page that are the amazing things, the great things. He tells it like it is. Even when a hero of the faith runs, is afraid, is scared, runs for miles and miles and miles. One author says this in a book called Wounded Saints. You know, in God's word, we're confronted with with cowardice. Sometimes treason, fatalism, depression, fatigue, pride, insensitivity, even suicidal thoughts. These unsavory character traits appear right alongside courage, conviction, faithfulness, and hope. God is so realistic in his portrayal of humanity, it's almost embarrassing at times. I love what James says it this way. James says, Elijah was a human 
just like we are. And if we're honest, there are moments when we've had, just like Elijah, where he says this, everything, it's going great, but then suddenly we say this, I am just, I'm done. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I am just, I'm just finished. I, I can't take it anymore. So I'm processing why. Why do we do that? Why did he do this? You know, there's a phrase that I, I've come to say. It just comes to mind a lot. And part of the staff is tired of me saying it. And it's a very simple phrase. You only know what people choose to tell you. You only know what people choose to tell you or to show you or reveal to you. What do I mean by that? There's been so many times through the years that there's these situations that'll pop up within the lives of people and, and getting the, the privilege to live life and to be there in some critical moments of people's lives. I've, I found myself saying this. I'm shocked to find out news, shocked to see that person is at a certain place in their life, shocked that something comes out. And then that phrase comes to mind, you only know what people choose to tell you. On the outside, things look great. Things are, are held together well, but, but maybe something on the inside is not going so well. Maybe that's for you, and, and maybe for Elijah. Psychology Today, I was reading an article, and it said this, and I, I think this is where we need to peg Elijah, and maybe you can, we can make this case. It says, honestly, I think he was, he was burned out. He was burned out. This is what the, the article said. Burnout is, is one of those road hazards in life that high achievers should be keeping a close eye out for. But sadly, often because of their I-can-do-everything personality, they rarely see it coming because high achievers are often so passionate about what they do, they tend to ignore the fact that they're working exceptionally long hours, taking on exceedingly heavy workloads, and putting enormous pressure on themselves to excel, all of which make them ripe for burnout. So what is this burnout? They, They give three kind of things there. Burnout is a state of chronic stress that leads to physical and emotional exhaustion, cynicism and detachment, feelings of ineffectiveness and a lack of accomplishment. So how do we see this in Elijah's life? Let's take a look. Signs of, of burnout, physical and emotional exhausted, exhaustion. He, he'd been on this journey. For three years, he had been in hiding. Imagine this. Remember seeing the Hunger Games and how... How, how intense that is in the middle of that movie. Imagine being hunted like that for three years. Someone is out to get you. He's been living that kind of life for that long. And he's been battling evil and having these kind of emotional mountaintop kind of moments. But in the middle of that, there's a draining effect that comes through that. And then top it all off, what does he do? He runs from Jezreel to Beersheba which is about 100 miles he, he's journeying as, as fast as he can, running away from, from Jezebel. About 100 miles physically, the toll that would take on someone. And they, they, he comes to this moment of just being exhausted physically. And then take that with the emotional exhaustion of the moment, carrying such a burden, representing a God, but also in front of a whole group of people that don't follow God and people that are out to get you. There are people that I know that are carrying so much emotional things for other people. Before long, it just becomes, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I'm just done. I'm spent. And you see that here. Another thing is this cynicism and detachment. And you hear that with, with the way he's talking. Look at some of the verses. You, you get down to 19, 9, and 10. He says this, listen, 
I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. I have, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel, they have broken their covenant with you. They have torn down your altars, and they've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. There's this cynical self-talk that, that's happening here, this, this, these words that are, that are just evil inside of us and outside of us, critical of ourselves and critical of others. And it's, it's, it's kind of everywhere. We see it. I, I saw this picture, and I know there's some cat lovers in the house, but it just, there it is. Uh, there's some people that, uh, there are a couple of cats in the land I know that are, are happy, uh, but they're mostly kittens, though, let's be honest. Uh, but some of you... Uh, that would, that would kind of, that kind of rings true. You, or let's just put it this way, we have some, we have some friends, don't we, that have a B negative attitude. There's constantly criticizing others and, and, and throwing just things, just rocks at other people. And to be honest, what I found out is that people that throw the, the most rocks and are most critical of other people, they spend a lot of time criticizing themselves internally. We live in a world right now that is so cynical. We, we look at the news. We look at every place we turn, and there's just constantly, there's this negative chatter all around. And it's not too hard of a stretch for us to constantly live in that ourselves. And when you, you do that, it be, there becomes just kind of a toxic atmosphere in your heart and in your life. You start to use words, and you kind of feel this with Elijah's, the way he's talking, always. This is always going to be like this. This is never going to change. I am the only one. It's this place of exaggeration when you're, you're cynical like this. And just a pause here. If we're called to be the people of God, the light in the world, the hope of the one, the hope of glory, can we, can we really reflect God with a cynical heart all the time? Is that an accurate picture of who our Jesus is? Man, this is a tough one for me because it's it's really easy for us to want to just constantly pick, and, 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 and we even use sarcasm sometimes, don't we? Because it, that's just for jokes, right? It's not real. There's also this, another thing that you notice in Elijah, this detachment, isolation. He says this, he went to Beersheba, a town in Judea, and he left his servant there. You stay there. I'm going to go out into the wilderness alone. And he sat under a solitary broom tree. For a lot of people, when we get to this place where burnout's happening, there's this kind of the Heisman Trophy pose to other people. It's like, I just want to be alone. I just want to be alone in this. You wouldn't understand anyway. You, you can't really understand what I'm going through. And so I'm just going to be in isolation here. Follow that with feelings of ineffectiveness or lack of accomplishment. And you can hear that. He's like, I'm just never going to turn out any better. I mean, just this is never going to get any better. Just... Even though he just was on top of the mountain, he just had seen God do ridiculous, amazing things, he still has this attitude of, it's just not going to change. Some of us are pretty good about that, too. We've got this, call it short-term memory loss. There was a movie that I saw, it was back, I think, 2000, around that time, Memento, and it was about this guy who had short-term memory loss, and he only could remember... The previous 15 minutes, and it was almost this restart that would happen. 
feel like for, for, for a lot of us, we get into this, this place of I, I forgetfulness. They've forgotten what happened just a chapter before. We forget the places in our lives where God has done amazing things. He has provided. He has come through. He has helped you. He has saved you. He has rescued you from your sins, from your past, and given you a new hope and life. But it's real easy to be in the now, isn't it? In this moment and to be forgetful. And Elijah is, is, is certainly, he's certainly there. And in the middle of all that, what happens here is this. Jezebel gets exactly what she wants. Evil wins because there's a, a loss of effectiveness for Elijah. He just, just says, I'm done. And evil ha- has won the day. So how do we get out of this tailspin? Maybe you're not in this place of burnout right now. Right now. Awesome. School has just started. You are, man, you've set some good boundaries. We've talked about some things about what well, time and, and how the, there's some good space that needs to take place in your life. You're in a good rhythm. You, you feel like you have that good space, that you're protecting yourself from there. But, but maybe you're on the opposite end. You're in burnout city right now, and you are just, I'm just done right now. Maybe you just feel that way spiritually, emotionally, even, even physically. So let's see how, what God tells us through the, the passage of how we can kind of get out of this, this place here, how we can fight burnout. And the first thing we see this is that we need to take care of our physical needs. What, is, what does God do the first thing with Elijah? He lay down, he slept under a broom tree. He, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stoves or hot stones, or stoves, uh, stones that became stoves, and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So, got, so he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So God sends this angel to take care of his physical needs, to, to eat to rest. Do you know that one of the biggest ways that you can kind of get out of a funk in your life or this, this burnout place is to sleep, physically sleep. Some of us run on nothing, four or five hours. Uh, WebMD tells us that a lot of adults say, I can, I can run on four or five hours of sleep. But reality is, eventually, that is going to catch up. If you're not getting at least their recommendation, I've heard eight, but seven hours of sleep, whether just one night or over the course of days, weeks, or months, they had this, this, this thing happens when you're not getting sleep where it's more difficult to concentrate. You find it harder to concentrate. You have mood swings, okay? Now, you can just shake your head if that's someone you know, okay? There's, there's mood swings for a person that they don't have enough rest, okay? This is just friends, not, you know, people that we're married to. Um, but when we don't have enough rest, I... F- don't you sense that? You just are on edge, and you're, you're up, and you're down. You need to sleep. That's a good place. Jesus gives us the Sabbath, this thing, this, this rhythm in our days. It says on the seventh day, you know what he did? He rested. We don't even know how to do that when we get a day off, do we? Some of you have a very long list of things that you're going to get done tomorrow, right? Because it's a day off. We don't just take a day off. We're Americans, so we do stuff, even on our day, days off, right? Thank you, Canada. Uh, 
We, God wants us to rest. He wants us to physically rest. You know, and then what I've found in life is this, is that physical disciplines in our lives, the things that we put in there, they lead to spiritual discipline as well. When we are, when we are sleeping well, when we are eating well, when we are even including this thing they call exercise in our lives, there is a domino effect that happens. When you're feeling good, other things begin to feel good and go right. Are you with me? There's this thing uh, Charles Duhigg says in, in a book, it's called The Power of Habit, that everyone has a keystone habit, that if you will, will set out one little habit, it's actually like a domino that sets other habits in place. For example, for me, when I, I know this sounds silly, when I set my clothes out the day before, I know, it's a weird one, when I set my clothes out the day before and when I set my alarm for the next day, it begins this domino effect of how the day is going to go. I get up when my alarm goes off instead of like, well, I'll just wake up when the kids come and start to pull my hair or stick something in my nose, um, which has happened. Um, I, I, there's an intentionality to the day. And when I add exercise to that, I begin to create disciplines. That causes me to want to spend time uh, more intentionally throughout the day with, with time in the Word and time with others and taking advantage of every moment. And there's this domino effect that's, that's throughout. So how do you fight this burnout? Pay attention to your body. Get rest. Add things like exercise and eating. Well, how else do you fight burnout? You're intentional about being in God's presence. This is so big. Be intentional about being in God's presence. Now, we've talked a little bit about this in the last few weeks, about taking time each day. About, we said a suggestion, just take, if you just took seven minutes a day and just said, I'm going to be quiet in this moment, I'm going to have a conversation with God, take some time when you're intentionally in God's word and you're letting it speak to you. Now, some of you are going, to be, if you were really honest and we just had a conversation, I don't know how to do that. I don't really know how to read God's word where it, it speaks to me. We're actually doing a, a, a discipleship class on Wednesday nights. It's going to start in a couple of weeks. You can see it in your worship folder. And just kind of, we want to help you with that. How can you get something out of what you, you read? Because that's the point. It's not to get some kind of, you're not, you're not going to get a badge from God. You read the Bible today. No. You're getting this, this relationship with God where he is speaking through his word. He is, is connecting to you. And, and here's something I'd add to that. You need to take a, some mini retreats. I call them mini retreats. We all love retreats. Retreats are great. Vacations are, are better. Retreats are fantastic. We take them with our, our students. What I would tell you to do is take a mini retreat. Now, I've kind of, I wish I could tell you I was intentional about this throughout my life, but somehow these, this rhythm has come into my life unintentionally. It started when I was a kid and I was playing basketball. And I was, would shoot basketball, and I would, different places, I would go and just shoot basketball. And I'm just kind of an ADD kind of person, and I just need to be moving, all right? So it's hard for me to just to, to, to sit and to not do. So shooting basketball is kind of a, a mechanical function that I really don't have to think about at this point. Uh, there is just, I, I've done it enough times where I just shoot and can, and can think and can meditate and spend time with God. I started doing that when I was a young kid. I would go to the gym, and they actually, when they become a pastor, they give you keys to the gym, so that's kind of nice. And so I would go, and I would play. Sometimes it's, it's happened to me where running is that thing, where I, once again, I'll, I'll, I'll run. I'll go out for a jog. I'll put some, some music on, or I'll listen to something, or I'll just be in complete silence. 
and I'm running, and I'm talking to God. I'm spending time with him. Later on, when I was in school at Trevecca, there's this place, there's a map of Trevecca uh, in Nashville, and it's a great campus, it's expanding. I don't know if it's even a newer version of what's happening there. A lot of things happening, but my favorite building in the, in the whole campus, I would take you there if, if we went to go visit it, is actually number 23 at the very top. And it's probably the least impressive building in all of campus. It's this little picnic pavilion. And at this picnic pavilion, I would go to on a regular basis. I would take a mini retreat, by mini retreat, an hour. And I would go spend time at this little rundown pavilion that's in the back. That I bet they don't even take you all on the tours. And there's a fireplace that, I, that I've had before that you, you can light a fire. And it's just isolated, and it's away, and it's near a little stream. And I would just go there, and I would hang out with God. And it's at that very little pavilion that I felt a, just a confirmation, an almost audible confirmation, that God's call in my life. I began to speak to God about the woman I was going to marry in that pavilion, where I was going to live, where I was going to move, what was going to be my next step in life. Some questions, some major questions were all answered in that little pavilion where God and I just hung out and met. It speaks about it this way in the Bible. There's these holy moments with God. Later on in life, I found other places. I lived in Florida. I got to walk on the beach. I hate going to the beach during the day when it's hot. Um, This skin was not made for tanning, okay? Uh, But at the end of the day, when it's nice and it's cool, and I'd walk with God on the beach and just spend time with him. Now, in Houston, I found probably my favorite place that uh, is in Houston is this library. It's called the Lanier Library. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a lawyer in town that built this amazing library, but beside it is this stone chapel. And if you ever get the chance to go in it, it's one of these places that you walk in and immediately you just, shh. And there's this quietness. And you don't want to speak. You almost feel like you need to take your shoes off because it's that kind of place. And you look around and some of the pictures, it's basically the story of God throughout the entire chapel. And you see from start to finish how God has worked and moved in his people. And I go there on a regular basis just to hang out with God. A mini retreat. Now what happens during those times? Sometimes God convicts me. He says, man, you've really blown it. You've really messed up. You said something that you didn't think was a big deal, but it was a big deal and it hurt someone. You need to go and you need to apologize. Sometimes he encourages me. I go there and I just, I feel so encouraged to be in his presence. He kind of picks me up and says, you can do it. You've got the next place in life. I know it's going to be hard, but you can do it. I've got this. I've got this, Matt. Sometimes the next, the things he tells me is, is I need to go in to talk to someone. Or I need to do something. There's a, there's a kind of a step. Or sometimes it's just being and, and hanging out together. You know, every now and then, uh, Melanie and I, we will we'll take time during the day. Most every day, M- Melanie, my wife, we'll, we'll just say, you know, how are you doing? Now, we have these meetings every day that's like, okay, what's next on the agenda of life? You know, somebody's got practice. We've got this homework due. And, you know, we have those times. But we try every single day to look into each other's eyes and say, how, how are you really doing? 
You know, we need that every day with God. But we also need, as couples, you need some date nights. You need some times of just, okay, we're just going to hang out and have some concentrated time together. That's what a mini retreat is. It's that just me and God, I just need to be with him so that he can speak. Some of you are in burnout right now. You need to add these mini retreats to your life, this place where you can practice the presence of God. And it's in these places that I've found the most that I've replaced fear and stress and worry with the presence of God, with the peace of God, with the patience of God, with the joy of, of, of serving and following him. Last couple of things. How do we get out of this burnout? What is what is uh, what is God do with Elijah. He says this, but, but Lord said to him, the Lord said, he goes up to this mountain and he, he spends time with him. He, he invites him up to, to Mount Sinai, which just coincidentally is the same place Moses went. And he has that moment uh, with the burning bush. And uh, he says, I want you to go and I want to, to, to spend time with you, have one of these moments with you. And, and he sends wind. You remember the story. He sends fire. He sends an earthquake, but God wasn't in all of those things, was he? No. He was in the still, small voice. It was almost like God was whispering to Elijah, whispering to him. And in the, in the, the Greek, there's like a gentle breeze came through. Check out this video about uh, maybe some things that we need to think about as we, we try to stop and listen. So what does God say to Elijah? Uh, the band's going to come up, and uh, what happens in this moment uh, with Elijah and God is he begins to remind him of the truth. You see, when we have these places of burnout, we get to these places, these, these, these deserts in life, we begin to tell ourselves lies. And one of those things he said was, I'm alone in this. I'm all alone. Even though if you read earlier, there's this place where Obadiah, he says, I took some prophets and I hid them in a, in a cave. They're, they're there. There are people that are out there. And then God reminds Elijah as well, there are 7,000 people of Israel. And they're out there. And they've never bowed down to these idols. They never bow down to these, these, these false things. They are, are on the Lord's side. You're not alone in this. There's lies that the enemy will tell you all the time, especially in these places of, of the desert of your, of your spiritual faith and your journey. They'll say things like, you're not really forgiven. God couldn't forgive you, couldn't possibly forgive you. But we know that's not true. God tells us that we can have forgiveness. We confess our sins. He tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He, he will tell you something like, you have no purpose or you have no plan in this life. What are you doing? You're just, no one cares about you. We know that's a lie. We know that we are a masterpiece made by God, that you were bought with a price, and that God took your life, and he has ordained you, and he's called you for a plan and a purpose. He's called you to honor him, to praise you, to represent him, to serve him in this world. He tells Elijah this, go and do, and this, this second the last half of the passage is this, go and do what you're called to do. You're called to be a prophet. Go, anoint kings. Tell others about this God. Go and do what you've called, been called to do. Put your feet forward in, in this place and move out of, of this, this, this desert of your life. Last thought, and uh, we're going we're gonna to have some time of worship. The first thing the Lord tells him when he's on the mountain is this. What are you doing here? Which seems like an odd question. Because you would go, uh, <laughs> well, you told me to come. 
Uh, it wasn't like they just ran into each other in the supermarket. What are, you, what are you doing here? How did you get here? The question is more like this. How did you get here? And do you want to get out? There was this moment where Jesus, in, in the Gospels, he, he goes to a crippled man and he says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Which seems like an odd question of someone that has been crippled for 38 years. But that's a pretty good question. Because sometimes we just want to stay where we're at. Sometimes it's easier just to stay in the desert when God is calling us out. He's telling you to take the next step, to take a step of faith. And maybe that comes today in just being in God's presence. We're going to pray. We're going to sing some songs this morning. And we just invite you today just to take, maybe just to take some time with God. And in this space, it is certainly a holy space that we can practice being in the presence of God, recognize who he is. Maybe you need to confess today. Maybe you need to recognize God. Maybe you need help in the next phase of your life. Maybe you're, I am totally burned out. I am just in a valley. And God, I need your help to help me to take the next step out of this. So let's pray and let's, let's spend time in his presence this morning. God, you're so good to us. Lord, thank you for your love for us, God. Lord, I thank you uh, for men and women of the, of the faith that have gone before us, that I've seen examples in the lives of, of so many people uh, that have done great things for you, God. Lord, we thank you how you've worked in our hearts. Lord, we thank you how you've set us free. You've given us grace upon grace, second chance after second chance. God, that you are for us and not against us. Lord, thank you for your, your love for us, Jesus. And I pray today for your people. God, as we spend time today, God, I pray that you would transform this sanctuary to a place that's got carpet and, and walls, to a holy space where we spend time with you, God, and we connect to you, God. And Lord, I pray that you will Lord, give what is needed today to your, your people. Lord, we invite you into our, this, this, this presence, your presence here, where we invite you into our hearts, Lord. God, as we sing, we recognize you, Lord. We praise things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Would you sing? Would you worship?